It's kind of amazing the things that are going on right now. And hopefully again, by the time this drops, things have chilled out significantly. But if not... (laughs) (laughs) But if it's, yeah, if it's gotten worse, at least we'll have this fun hour together. (laughs) Yes. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to Meddling Adults, a game show where we grab our town competition ribbons and go head-to-head to to test our wits against the prowess of fictional young detectives for charity. I'm your host, Mike Schubert. I'm very bad at solving children's mysteries, which is why I'm safely behind the judges' table, letting others solve them instead. Our contestants this week are Melissa Anelli from Mischief Management and Emmy Award winner Jason Concepcion from Crooked Media. Today's mysteries are from Encyclopedia Brown, but Jason and Melissa, how's it going? Hello. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, for context, we are recording this in November, even though this will be coming out a couple months later. So hopefully things are a little bit better by the time the episode comes out. Last time we recorded this with you, it was election day. So at least that had a <laughs> happy ending, ultimately. Yes. Yeah, it's really delightful to see you both. It really brings a piece of normalcy into my life that I enjoy. So before we get into the actual mysteries themselves, since this is a game show for charity, we have charities to play for. So, Jason, which charity will you be playing for today? I'm going to uh, be playing for the L.A. Downtown Women's Shelter. It's a great organization. Melissa, how about you? Listen, I lost for Camp Kiwanis last time, so I'm trying again. Okay, good. Second time's a charm. We'll have to see. Second time. <laughs> it's a camp for underprivileged children, and it's in upstate New York, and my parents do a lot of work for it. It's so sweet. It's very nice. I'm very excited. Got some great organizations to play for, and we've got great mysteries. So here's how the game works. I'm going to recap four mysteries from the esteemed children's novel series Encyclopedia Brown. Neither of you have read or seen them ahead of time. I'll lay out all the clues. I'll ask for your accusations, and each correct guess will earn you some points. But there's also bonus points at stake. If your guess matches my incorrect guess, you'll get a Misery Loves Company bonus point. And if you say anything that just makes me laugh, you throw a good jab at each other, you throw a diss, a burn, anything there, bonus points can be abound. Yes. So let's put the pedal to the metal and then get into our first mystery, which in this case is the case of the prize pig. Yes. Oink. <laughs> so Encyclopedia Brown and Sally are on the bus to go watch their friend Lucy Fribbs race her pig, whose name is Hambone, in a pig race. <laughs> no, why would you name a pig Hambone? <laughs> because they live in Florida, and this is what they do. It's like naming your sheep lamb chops. Don't do that. <laughs> Has everyone met my pig, Bacon? Yeah, not a great look. I think it's very rare that people name the thing that they're going to eat or sell to be eaten. So I'm hopeful that that is what's going on here. Yes, we can hope that Hambone is not going to get eaten because he is a racing pig and, you know, not an eating pig. So unfortunately, their bus to this illustrious pig racing event is running late. So they don't arrive on time. When they show up, they are at the parking lot. They pass a 19-year-old kid in town named Chuck Dawson. Now, Chuck is the son of a tobacco farmer, and they come across him tying his shoe on his motorcycle, smoking a cigar. That's a lot. Can I ask? I'm a little confused about the physics of this. Is he straddling the motorcycle and tying his shoe? How does that work? (laughs) No, so the motorcycle is parked. He's in the parking lot. Okay. He's tying his shoe on it, I guess, to look cool, but he's also smoking a cigar at the same time. So he's got his foot up on the motorcycle and he's standing in the parking lot. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. The cigar part, 
has me because the cigar is not something you casually hang out of your mouth like James Dean with the, right. you know, the cigar is a choice. And he's 19 also. So that's a lot. <laughs> so Sally walks up to him and asks if the pigs are still racing. And he says, I don't know. I just showed up just like you guys. But he says that he is glad that they are there because his dad, the tobacco farmer, has a pig in the race. And this pig's name is Upset Tummy. Oh, <laughs> baby. So Chuck is worried that someone in the competition is going to resort to dirty measures to try to ensure victory. And Encyclopedia Brown asks why someone would do that in a pig race. And Chuck says that... It is because the winner gets, and I quote from the book, a barrel of money. Now, I don't know if this is just a euphemism for a lot of money or if the prize money comes in a literal barrel, but I wouldn't put it past a pig race to put the prize money in a large barrel. It's a barrel literally made out of money. <laughs> it's just an empty barrel, but it's made out of money. So Chuck then flicks off a long piece of ash from his cigar. He finishes it, stomps it out on the ground, and then turns to Encyclopedia Brown, who is 11, and says, what say we join forces and keep watch for any funny business? Which I now would imagine that he talks, you know, like this, Shay, we're going to watch out for funny business. Like, if you've got the cigar and you're saying funny business, there's only one way you can talk. Okay, he's teaming up with the 11-year-old. <laughs> What a meeting of the minds that we have here. And Sally is just taking this all in at the moment, or what's Sally's deal? So far, she's just there. She's Encyclopedia Brown's junior partner, just along with him to watch their friend Lucy Pig race. She hasn't really said anything out, but, you know. Unpaid internship. <laughs> Sally's my favorite. Sally's my girl. She's perfect. She is described as the prettiest and strongest and best athlete in town. She's the junior partner, then why? <laughs> but that's fine. Let's see. All right, continue. I'm sorry. It's true. It's, it's a true. good question. Because... That's what happens. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> because it's Earth One. <laughs> Potential misogyny aside, she is worse at solving mysteries. Okay. She's very good at the other things around in terms of beating up the town bully and sports and such. She is not very good at solving mysteries, though she does come through in the clutch from time to time. So they head on over to the pig racing tent and Chuck stations himself by the entrance. Sally and Encyclopedia Brown go inside to try to find their friend Lucy. And when they see Lucy, they first apologize for being late. And she says, no worries. You'll see Hambone run in the final. He won his heat in three and a half seconds flat, which was a track record. And they see her pinning a number one onto his racing silk. He's going to be running out of lane one in the final since he won the heat. So Lucy explains to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally and pretty much the reader how the race works so you have the racing pigs and the way that they get the pigs to run across the track is they put a chocolate chip cookie on the other side of the track okay. i guess like when you have a, a fake rabbit for greyhound dog racing it would work for me yeah you know i'd run and do it why not so she's explaining the race and how she raised Hambone, and sally says wow that sounds like a lot of work and lucy says no pigs are easy to train they're humble even tempered and smarter than dogs which i feel like is something i have heard before, but I'm not sure. I'm reading this book called A Very Good Pig that's literally about Christopher Hogswood, this amazing pig. And yeah, they're incredibly, incredibly smart. At the last apartment I lived in, one of the neighbors had a pig and would take the pig out, uh, mostly in the evenings when it was less busy. Large pig. I would estimate the pig's weight at 120 to 150. Like, man, big, big pig. Cool. Really dark skin hairy, coarse hair. When you pet it, it's like coarse, thick skin. Made all the oinking noises and the delightful sounds and all that. Mm. You take them out and it would eat the palm nuts that fall from the palm trees. It would just clean up the street, <laughs> basically, this pig. <laughs> delightful animal. I will say that the only thing is like, I, it's hard to read. You know, I'm so used to reading dogs and cats. I just cannot read a pig. I did not know if the pig liked me, <laughs> if it wanted me to pet it. 
if it was coming towards me because there was a nut near me or that it was curious. I, I could not tell, but it seemed very smart and uh, a delightful animal. That's great. I feel the same way about any animal. I'm not a pet person by any means. I don't know what to do with any pet. Like dog, I can figure you probably want me to pet you and maybe play fetch. Cat, you probably want me to leave you alone unless you ask me to pet you. Any other animal, I know nothing. Do you want me to hold you? Should I not hold you? I'm terrified at a petting zoo. (laughs) I love petting zoos. I'm going to have a pig one day, but they're illegal in New York City. Oh! What's the reasoning? No idea, but you know... It's New York City, so there's definitely some of them. Do you remember Ming the Tiger? No. Ming the Tiger, folks. Look it up. <laughs> there's a gentleman who had a full tiger in his apartment. This is like mid-2000s New York City. And then it just turned on him one day. Yeah. <laughs> he couldn't get back into the apartment. And uh, they had to call the fire department. And there's an incredible picture that you can see when you look this up on the internet. And it's of a firefighter, emergency worker of some sort, rappelling down the side of the building and the tiger in the window, like looking extremely fierce. I'm looking at this picture right now. Trying to eat this guy. It's wild. It's just all fang. It's just... <laughs> He's eating the window. Yes. It's- <laughs> My God. <laughs> Oof. That's horrifying. I have give Jason a bonus point for uh, bringing this knowledge into all of our lives. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Ming the Tiger, legendary New York story. <laughs> Wild. <sighs> so anyway, Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> so at this point, a man in a dark suit comes in and informs the racers that in two minutes, the race will begin. So Lucy starts heading towards the starting gate tells Encyclopedia Brown and Sally to stay close and come with her. She says that I'll tell the people that you're my assistant trainers. It's no big deal. So at the starting line, there are four chutes. They are large plywood boxes with an overhead door at each end. And there's air slots that are six inches long and an inch wide cut into the top so that these pigs can breathe. And Lucy is getting handbone ready. And while she's doing so, Encyclopedia Brown checks out the other racers. So here's the other three pigs we've got. At shoot number two, there is a pig named Fast Fatso. It is trained by a woman named Mrs. Markin. And Fast Fatso seems very excited, but Mrs. Markin seems very nervous. She keeps glancing over at Hambone and at shoot number one. In shoot number three, we have Greasy Lightning, which is trained by a man named Mr. Heston. He is chewing yellow bubblegum. I don't know why, but I found that incredibly suspicious because I don't know what bubblegum you've got that's actively bright yellow. Nuclear bubblegum. Got it in Fallout. <laughs> the final pig that we have is Upset Tummy in shoot number four. This is trained by Mr. Dawson, the tobacco farmer, Chuck's dad. And Mr. Dawson is whispering things into Upset Tummy's ear. So this is the competition that we have for our pig in slot number one, Lucy's prized pig. Interesting. So the starter says, runners, take your mark. Lucy removes the leash from Hambone's neck and immediately Hambone darts through the open door into the front of the chute. And Lucy thinks this is strange. She says he usually doesn't get this excited to get into the chute, but she closes the rear door and then the race begins. Starter rings a bell, race starts, but Hambone just gets off to an awful start. He breaks out of the chute late can't make up the misground, and Mrs. Markin's pig from slot two, Fast Fatso, takes the win in 4.12 seconds, eats that chocolate chip cookie even faster, and Hambone comes in dead last place. So Lucy is distraught. Sally goes over to try to comfort her, and Encyclopedia Brown starts snooping about, and he notices that in Hambone's starter gate is a speck of brown at the edge of the air slot. Encyclopedia Brown sniffs it, Thankfully, it's not poop. It's chocolate. 
So that is very suspicious. That explains why Hambone got all excited. Hmm. And Encyclopedia Brown to Sally says that he found the reason for Hambone's bad start. And he says, oh, I can't believe I nearly missed one of the clues. And then gets into saying who is guilty. So I turn to the two of you. Who messed with Hambone's cage to sabotage the race? Wow. Oy. Once again, being shown up by an 11-year-old. <laughs> I'm suspicious of Upset Tummy's guy and the whispering into Upset Tummy's ear. Mm-hmm. This is owned by Mr. Dawson, the tobacco guy. Because I'm wondering if there's a coordination between some of these other trainers. Right. I think it was a conspiracy is what I'm saying. Ooh, okay, okay. I like that. I'm similar to you. Can I ask Chuck? So he showed up late, but where was he? He just arrived? He doesn't say where he was. He just says from the parking lot before extinguishing his finished cigar, says, I just got here. And then he ends up going along with Encyclopedia Brown to say they're going to make sure no one messes with the race. He stands at the entrance when they go in to check with their friend Lucy. So he doesn't say where he was. He's just at his motorcycle and says he just showed up. Interesting. Looking at motive... Certainly winning the race is a strong motive. Mm-hmm. Do we have any other information on Mrs. Marco? Uh, she seemed nervous again. Yeah, the only information is that she's described as constantly looking over her shoulder, specifically at shoot one where Hambone was while she's getting her pig ready. So that is what raises the suspicions of her. Hmm. Here's the thing. Dude couldn't have just gotten there because he flicks a long ash right. onto the floor, which says that he's been there chugging that cigar for a while. All right. So you, you've you honed in on the Dawson's being behind it. How about you, Jason? It's just not adding up. I agree with Chuck. And just the, the amount of biographical information that we have about him would lead us to believe that he's involved in some way. And again, I think clearly the fact that he's been in the parking lot smoking for a while would lead us to believe that he's, he's lying in some form or fashion. Can I ask about the yellow bubble gum? Yeah. Mr. Heston, do we have anything else on him? Just He's just he's got, got the yellow, yellow bubble, bubble gum, gum. <laughs> and that's it. And he's just uh, chewing the yellow bubble gum. Yes, he is. Now, it's been a long time since I've engaged with Encyclopedia Brown's oof. <laughs> but this feels, I got to tell you, this the yellow bubble gum feels like some kind of a signal. I agree. <laughs> signal to conspirators who are uh, waiting. Some kind of message to someone who is watching to do something. <laughs> That's just all I got on Mr. Heston. Pop for go, spit for stay. Yeah. (laughs) So final answers, what are we looking at? I think there is a conspiracy between Dawson and Mrs. Markson who dropped the chocolate in the crate. That they would split the money if she sabotaged the thing. How about you, Jason? I tend to agree with that, but I'm going to mix it up just because, like, let's get crazy here. (laughs) I'm going to say that Mr. Heston was somehow involved, the yellow bubblegum being the signal probably to the man in the dark suit. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And that's what it was. Uh, You know, Miss Marco's nervousness, I think, is just a function of her, you know, being concerned about the race and understanding that the reputation that that Hambone had and 19 year olds lie a lot. So I I can explain that one away. (laughs) And uh, Mr. Dawson whispering to upset Tommy, that's, I think, just a good thing to do. If you got a loved pet in the race. So I'm going to say Mr. Heston somehow involved a uh, man in the dark suit also involved. And I think the yellow bubble gum again, some kind of signal 
I'd like to know more about where this chocolate comes from, but that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say that Melissa is closer here. So I'm giving Melissa the three points. So it was the Dawson's. The giveaway, as you pointed out, Melissa, is that the fact that he flicked off a long piece of ash from the cigar means that he didn't just get there. So he's lying. That's what was the giveaway. And basically, they just wanted to screw over the pig that was set to be the best and make sure that they won that barrel of money. They knew that because how the race worked, the fastest pig from the heat was going to go into slot one. So it wasn't necessarily a dedicated ham bone thing. I see. Got it. They just snuck chocolate into lane one because that's going to be the best pig. But I did give Jason a bonus point for saying Encyclopedia Brown's oove. <laughs> Is that how you say that word? I hope so. Well, I'm saying oove from now on. <laughs> So the score at the end of this first mystery is three to two. Melissa and Ellie leads as we get into our second mystery. Oh, hey. The case of the hard luck boy. Ooh, okay. Artie Yakamoto comes into the Brown Detective Agency and he was smiling. Because he's smiling, Encyclopedia Brown knew something was wrong because Artie only smiled when he suffered. The narrator describes this as, quote, hard luck followed him like the seat of his pants. If a day went well, he was disappointed. So... I don't know what this guy's vibe is. It feels very 2020 where he is just expecting the worst and is delighted whenever that happens to him. I got to say, there's some uh, troubling undertones to this one, but we're going to keep we're going to roll through that. <laughs> You're right. It's a very 2020 vibe <laughs> yeah. happening here. Yeah. Written in 1985, but still holds true today. So Encyclopedia Brown asks, what's the bad news? And Artie says that for starters, it's his 11th birthday. And Sally says, oh, happy birthday. And Artie goes, happy? No chance. I'm already halfway to being 22. And that's halfway to 44. Yuck. 44 is middle aged. What happened to my life? So he's already going through existential dread at age 11. Can I tell you, this is what I was like at age 10. <laughs> I had the measles for my 10th birthday. And, Yikes. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. And I was vaccinated. Terrible. The measles are terrible. And I would cry whenever anybody said happy birthday to me. And they're like, why is it? Because I won't turn another digit for 90 years. <laughs> I'm going to give you i I'm sorry that you had the measles on your birthday bonus point. That's just not fair. You need some sort of, uh, <laughs> you need some sort of gift. <laughs> so Artie says that he is at the Brown Detective Agency because he has entered in the local library's vocabulary challenge. Okay. This challenge is open to any sixth grader who currently holds a job. So this is a very specific competition that Idaville, Florida is running. Florida, man. Artie works at his family's furniture store, so he qualifies. Artie says that he will win if he can beat the competition. The competition includes kids in town, Mary, Peggy, and Herb. Artie is worried because they are word brains, so he thinks that the competition is fierce. And Encyclopedia Brown knows these kids. So Mary refers to herself as a bookkeeper, but not a bookkeeper in the traditional sense. She just works in her father's bookstore and straightens up the shelves and stuff. So calling herself a bookkeeper is a bit of a misnomer, but that's who Mary is. Peggy, she helps her teenage brother with his summer lawn business, helps him mow lawns and take care of people's yards in town. And Herb has a year-round newspaper out. So they all have respectable professions for their sixth grade jobs. Did either of you have jobs at this age? I was a baseball umpire in sixth grade. I was, I I'm, uh, vacuumed the house. Mm -hmm. I got a dollar for that. It's good. Nice. It's good stuff. I went to my dad's office and was a bookkeeper. I'm essentially Mary. Wow. <laughs> So the quiz is about to start in 20 minutes when he shows up to the Brown Detective Agency because he wants to make sure that nothing blows up in his face since everything goes wrong for him all the time. He wants to just make sure that no shenanigans happen. He sounds like he needs uh, therapy. Like this kid is 
there's just a lot of issues here. Right. Yeah. It, it seems like he needs someone to talk to. And, you know, maybe maybe Sally can do that as well. I'm rooting for Artie. <laughs> so they show up to the library. Encyclopedia Brown spends a minute just taking note of the layout of where the competition is taking place. There are four rooms and there's a bathroom at the end of the hall. And next to the bathroom is a water fountain. So he sees all the kids crowded around one of the rooms and he walks over and it's the room with the prizes in it. So there is a first, second and third prize. They're all in blank, unmarked boxes, but the top of the boxes have a little tag on them that say first place, second place, third place. So the quiz runner comes down the stairs and has the competitors start the competition. They go into one of the rooms and she asks that everyone not competing remain outside this room. The quiz takes 50 minutes. So this is an intense quiz. Five zero minutes? Five zero minutes. I'm sorry. I'm laughing about the crowd come to watch the pop quiz (laughs) that they have to keep out of the room like it's the Queen's Gambit over here. (laughs) We thought that task two at Goblet of Fire was bad where you're just looking at a blank lake. But this is already a vocabulary challenge and then you can't even sit in the room. You're not even watching a test. You're just watching a room where people are taking a test for 50 minutes. This is unbelievable. (laughs) This town is amazing. Idaville, Florida, baby. It's so great. Florida. So during these 50 minutes, Encyclopedia Brown and Sally make sure that no funny business happen. Encyclopedia Brown watches the front door. Sally watches the back door. Nobody comes in or out of the building. The competition ends. Artie emerges looking sad, which means he must have done well. So he says that the results won't come in for an hour. So you guys can head back. And it's going to take an hour to tabulate these? I don't know. There are four competitors. I don't know why it takes this long. <laughs> it's like the New York election board. Florida is actually really fast. But New York. I got a lot of questions about the <laughs> workflow and the efficiency of this particular competition. I think they could do it a lot better. Give something to the crowd to watch for two hours. <laughs> at least. Why are they even hanging out? Sally's just chilling there. She could totally have graded this test. Uh, Thank God. Maybe this one actually took place in Arizona, not Florida, and it took them this long to get the results in. Nevada. <laughs> Nevada. Where they count one vote a day. <laughs> yeah, Nevada. Sorry. That is the correct joke. Thank you for that. But yeah, it took them forever. Gosh. So they head back to the Brown Detective Agency, and then an hour later, Artie shows up, and Artie... He's smiling, isn't he? Artie is smiling, which yeah. is a bad sign. So he won. He won the competition, and the first prize was a new wristwatch, but the wristwatch is broken. What? So, of course, in Artie fashion, something has gone wrong. Wait, Artie doesn't love this, though? <laughs> Secretly? <laughs> he, he talks about how this is just, like, classic, so he knows, like, it was meant to be. But he explains what happens. He says that the prizes were handed out in reverse order. So Herb got third place. Third place was a bicycle light. Mary got second place, and it was a small calculator. And first place was a wristwatch. Feels like the difference between first and second place is quite steep. Yeah. But true to his nature, already accepted his fate and didn't tell anyone. Though afterwards, he spoke with the lady that ran it, and he said, hey, the wristwatch is broken. She says that, oh, I'm really sorry. I don't know what happened. I inspected the prizes in the morning and they were in perfect condition. I didn't check them again right before the award ceremony, though. So she's not exactly sure what happened. Uh oh. During the competition itself, each kid was allowed to leave the room once for a bathroom break. And Artie says he didn't notice which kids left and which ones didn't because he was just focused on the test. But he does confirm that some kids left the room. 
Now, Artie says that he got the win because the only question that he got wrong was the last question. He only got the second part of the last question wrong. Mary got second because she missed the entirety of the last question, and Herb got third because he missed the second question and then half of the last question. So it was a really close race. So here is the question, and I will award a bonus point for whoever can answer it first properly. It's a two-parter. The first part, name a word with two double letters back to back. Wow. Whoa. (laughs) It's like on the tip of my tongue. Oh, man, I want to get this. (laughs) (laughs) It's only one point. It's not huge. We can move on. (laughs) So up my alley. I'm going to keep thinking about it. Wait a sec. Is it, uh, how do you spell bookkeeper? Is it bookkeeper? Oh my God. So that would work. Okay. All right. Jason. I will give Jason a bonus point. Bookkeeper is one of them. Is that one K or two Ks? It's two Ks. Ks. Yeah. That's amazing. The answer that I said out loud when I was reading this children's book in my house, I said balloon. And that's also what Encyclopedia Brown and Balloon. 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 <laughs> wow. The disdain that you both just said the word balloon with. <laughs> balloon. <laughs> oh, I feel so schooled right now. <laughs> I know. So then the second part of the question was okay, now say a word that has three double letters back to back. No, no. Bookkeeper. There you are. Yes. Bookkeeper. Yes. Bookkeeper does work. <laughs> So once this is laid out, Encyclopedia Brown knows exactly, exactly what is up. So I turn to the two of you. Who do you think is guilty? I will say to recap for the results, Artie came in first place. The only thing he got wrong was that second part of the last question. Mary came in second. She got the entire last question wrong. Herb came in third. He got a question earlier wrong and then that second part of the last question and then we don't know anything about peggy except that she came in the last place and peggy <laughs> oh nice <laughs> wow i think this is a fairly open and shut case i think that it's mary and i think that encyclopedia brown's reasoning here is going to be she should have gotten these questions the question right because she is a bookkeeper and that's the answer to the question yeah and i think mary wanted the calculator. Ah. Great one. Yeah. Didn't want a broken wristwatch. I don't know why she would break the wristwatch, but maybe she threw it so they can say like, oh, this is broken. You can have a calculator. Now you said people left the room. Let's just lock this down. Who left the room? Can we get a TikTok on who, <laughs> who was in and out of the room and when? They don't say who is in and out, but all that Artie is able to say is that multiple people left the room. He just couldn't see who. Now, I will say, you guys are correct that Mary was behind it. I love it. So I'm giving you the points for that. But if you can guess exactly what happened, then I'll give a bonus point as well. Because there's no way from the clues that you would be able to know exactly what took place. But Encyclopedia Brown's like, I got it, guys. (laughs) And if you can get either (laughs) of this, I will be floored. (laughs) Okay, wait. Because... She can't do math at her job. Okay. She wants to be a real bookkeeper and she wanted a calculator. That's not my real answer, but that's where I am right now. No, it's a good, it's a good guess. I like that too. I think that it's, it's an open question on whether she broke the watch or not. Mm-hmm. I guess if she did, she's really a psycho. <laughs> I guess that she broke the watch or didn't want the watch because she doesn't like work and she doesn't like want to know how long she's there. Mm. And that uh, I agree with the, the calculator thing. She needs it for her job as for how it happened. I don't know. She's one of the people that left the room at some point. 
and then fuck with the prizes. But I, you know, like, again, there's not a lot to go on here. Yeah. So here's what Encyclopedia Brown lays out. And this is what ends up happening. Mary left the room. She was going to the bathroom. She walked by the room that had the boxes of the prizes in it. She opened the box to see what the prizes were. But when she opened the first prize box with the watch, it fell out of the box, fell onto the floor, broke the watch. And then she was like, well, I don't want a broken wristwatch. So she flunked the last question on purpose so that she wouldn't win a broken wristwatch. And Encyclopedia Brown, as you had pointed out, obviously knew that she would throw it because she's a bookkeeper. She keeps calling herself a bookkeeper. She would very easily get this last question correct. But I have given you a bonus point, Jason, for you said that she broke the watch. So I gave you that. And then I gave Melissa bonus point for making an Ann Peggy Hamilton reference. So the score is now eight to seven. (laughs) Ann Peggy. Welcome, fellow sleuths, to our first ad break of season three. This season, we are very fortunate to have more sponsors than we have had in seasons past, meaning that we will be able to give more money to charity than we have in seasons past. Having more sponsors means that we can use more of the sponsorship money to cover the season's expenses, and thus less of the Patreon money goes towards covering expenses and instead goes directly to the charities. Speaking of supporting the show, you can do so in a few ways. If you want to support the show monthly, you can do so at patreon.com slash meddling adults. You'll also get access to some bonus features. We'll put your name on the website. We'll thank you at the end of the season. You can also just make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash meddling adults. And if you're not in a financial situation and you still want to help the show, why don't you tell someone about it? Leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Anything that gets the word out about the show helps us. And with all that being said, let's talk about our first sponsor for this week's episode, Monk Pack. Look, I try to eat as healthily as possible, but one of the ways in which healthy eating falls short is snacks. Healthy snacks have a terrible reputation for not tasting very good, not filling you up, not hitting those cravings that you have, but Monk Pack makes snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have just one gram of sugar, two grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. Monk Pack sent me a box of their granola bars. They have two different types. Some were of the chewy granola bar variety. Some were of the gooey bunch of nuts melded together by gooey goodness variety, and both were so delicious. And in addition to the varieties of bars they offer, they also have a wide variety of flavors, including coconut cocoa chip, honey nut, blueberry almond vanilla, but my favorite was the dark chocolate peanut butter. I really liked dark chocolate. I really like peanut butter. And putting the two of them together, you just can't miss. It's so tasty. The copy here says that they're perfect for a quick breakfast or a snack between Zoom calls or as a late night treat. And I will say, before even reading this, I had them as all three of those things. I'm not lying. And the monk bars were great in each of those roles. And in addition to being keto-friendly, they are gluten-free, grain-free, and they are plant-based. They have no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols, or artificial colors. I'm being straight up. I've had a lot of granola bars in my day, and they taste very, very good, and they're good for you. So try it for yourself and you'll see. And there is a special deal for meddling adults listeners. You will get 20% off your first purchase of any Monk Pack product by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code meddling at checkout. And Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's back with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, which I don't think is going to happen, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. So to get started, just go to monkpack.com, that's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com and select any product, enter the promo code meddling at checkout and you'll save 20 
20% off your purchase. So with Monk Pack, you can have delicious, nutritious food that you can count on. And thanks to Monk Pack for sponsoring this episode. This podcast is also sponsored by BetterHelp. If there's something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals, BetterHelp is here for you. I have felt these feelings. This year, the past year, this current year are ridiculous and unprecedented. And I have had different feelings than I've had in years past. And that's completely normal. And it really does help to talk to someone about this. And you can talk to a licensed professional therapist about whatever is going on in your life through BetterHelp. You can start communicating with that therapist in under 48 hours. And they have a broad range of expertise available, which is nice because that might not be available to you locally. And also, you won't have to travel to an office. You don't have to sit in a waiting room. And you can do it all from the comfort of your own home, wherever you live, because BetterHelp is available worldwide. And BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if need be. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. So if you go to betterhelp.com slash meddling, that is betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash meddling, you can join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. And as a special offer, as a meddling adults listener, you will get 10% off your first month. So again, that is betterhelp.com slash meddling. You'll get 10% off your first month and you can start talking to an experienced, licensed professional therapist about whatever is going on in your life today. And now let's get back to the show. So it's a, a slim one-point lead for Melissa and Ellie. So we get into the third case, the case of the albatross. Ooh. Encyclopedia Brown and Sally enter the Idaville Trout Fishing Tournament for children because of their friend Conway Tintashell. What now? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Good, our good friend Conway, Conway Tintashell. For the folks at home, that is T-I-N-T-U-S-H-E-L. It says that they only entered with him for one reason. Conway had a boat. They don't like Conway, but he has a boat. And I appreciate the hustle of Encyclopedia Brown and Sally using this man for his boat. Same. So he has gone fishing with them multiple times throughout the summer. And the book describes this as, quote, Encyclopedia Brown always paid a painful price. Along with a few snappers and groupers, the detectives always caught an earache. Conway was a kind but gabby sixth grader, and he talked better than he fished. So he's annoying, but he's got a boat, so you got to deal with it. I got to say, this is slimy from Insyke Brown. Mm -hmm. I agree. I kind of feel bad for Conway Tintashell. Yes. Well, we'll learn more about our dearest friend Conway over the course of this mystery. So they get to the fishing competition. There are 23 boats there. Conway's boat is called the Albatross, which I can't think of that word except for thinking specifically of NBA basketball contracts that are really bad. Like, that's the only thing Albatross means to me. It's a bird, right? Yeah, it's a bird. I don't love it as a name for any kind of vessel that you would depend on for your life. Is it a really big, ugly bird? It's like a cormorant. I That, that also went over my head. I'm going to Google albatross now. Oh, it's like a duck-seagull hybrid. So the competition begins, and Conway tells Encyclopedia Brown and Sally that he's got a secret spot. So they sail over to the secret spot, and there are six other boats there, so not very secret. Okay. Well, maybe maybe that's because Conway Tintashell is always telling people and talking about this secret spot. Yep. Way too talkative. Come on, Conway. So they have no luck at this spot, so they go to another one at Biscayne Landing, and it's great. They start to catch a lot of fish, and Conway out loud screams, lock the doors! They're coming in through the windows! 
this is the hot spot. So there's Conway Tintishell. Within 10 minutes, they have caught three small trout, three groupers, and a snapper. So they're doing fantastically. But unfortunately, a 24-foot sport fisherman, so a very fancy boat according to the illustration in the book, swoops in. And it goes directly at the albatross. And Sally says, oh, no, that's Jim Loring's boat. So Jim Loring, I guess, is just a local terrible person. So he comes up really hot, really fast, really close to them and swerves just out of the way of the albatross and comes to a halt. Conway's very upset. And he says, we should just get out of here. Such a dramatic entrance was sure to scare away all of the fish. So they leave this spot. They try to find some other ones. They don't have as much success. And then the competition ends because the time limit is reached. So they go back into shore and they get with the judge. And unfortunately, Jim Loring, this guy on this giant boat, is the winner. Great. So he has caught his biggest fish. He says he caught it at Biscayne Landing. So this secret spot. And the judge has a photo of Jim catching this large trout as further evidence. And it was taken with a Polaroid, but I guess because they couldn't get the licensing for Polaroid, they had to describe it in 11 words. So they say <laughs> they took the photo with, quote, a high-speed camera that develops its own color prints. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. <laughs> a, little, a little less free with the fair use back in the day. Maybe it was a word minimum per story that <laughs> Donald Sobel had to hit. <laughs> He's just making it as long and verbose as possible. But Encyclopedia Brown, Sally, and Conway look at this photograph. And in the photograph, it has a bowed fishing rod at the stern of the boat. And in the air, there is a trout. And it's curved up. So it looks like a fish that is actively struggling to get caught. It's curved up. And they see that the details in the photo are fantastic. You can see the scales on the fish. You can see the fishing line. And you can see the drops of water, which are all dripping straight down from the fish as it's above the water. Now, Sally thinks this picture is a little suspicious because Jim isn't in frame. It's just the fish. And then in the background, you can see another boat. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> takes a picture like that. There's no fisherman alive. No. It takes a picture of a fish and they're not. I, no. Immediately, this guy is very, very suspect. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, what kind of photo are you even taking for your dating profile if you're not in the photo with the fish? Yeah, or yeah you have to be in the photo with the fish. That's 101. The only justification, I guess, is that this was the action shot and not the I'm posing with the fish photo. That's the only thing. But what is giving this photo a bit better of a rep is evidence is that in the background, is Encyclopedia Brown, Sally, and Conway in the albatross. They're out of focus, but it definitely looks like them in the background. Sally is very concerned. She goes to Encyclopedia Brown and says, you have to prove that this photo is fake. We can't let this guy win. And Encyclopedia Brown says, the fish is the only hard part. The rest of the case is easy. And then gets into the solution. So I turn to the two of you. How did Encyclopedia Brown know that something was afoot? What's going on? Well, again, I'm going to go back to the fact that he's not in the photo with the fish. So that's an issue. Also, an action shot, like you would pose with the fish. No one's taking a photo of you pulling the fish out of the water. That seems like uh, Jim Loring doth protest too much. Mm. Was anyone else with Jim Loring? Is he alone? Yeah, he's got a couple other people in his fishing crew, but they don't describe any of them in detail. Okay. The droplets going down is a flag to me. Okay. Right. Fish not moving. Right. Because if the fish is in the middle of a struggle, those droplets are not going down there. Yeah, they're going everywhere, going everywhere around. I completely agree with that. All right. 
So what do you think is the fish then? It's just some dead fish that he had. <laughs> He'd gotten it some other place. Yeah. Brought it in a cooler and then dropped it into the water on the end of his line and then yanked it out. And as he yanked it out, they snapped a picture. So he's had to come and present his fish that he won. Yeah, he brought the fish. Yes. It's a real fish, right? They say that it has been accepted as a real fish. What happened? So I'm with Jason on the... This is a staged photo. Yeah, I don't think we have a full picture, but I think it's clear that Loring cheated and he cheated with a burner fish, with a ringer fish. <laughs> the ringer fish. Is the water splashing? Like, is the water itself splashing or is the fish just coming smoothly out of the water? It's saying that the water droplets are just straight down from the fish. Yeah, this fish is not alive. Yeah. That's clear. Yeah, this is staged. That's all I got. <laughs> 100% in agreement. <laughs> okay, so it is a staged photo. I will say Jason was the closest, so I gave him one extra point. It's a frozen fish. Oh! So you mentioned the cooler. So basically it was a frozen fish, and they were hanging it from it just to take the photo. Then over the course of the day, since there were a couple more hours, it thawed. So when they brought the fish to the judge, it ah. seemed like a legitimate fish. But you guys were on the right track with the droplets and all that, so I gave you the points. But I gave Jason one additional. So we go into the final mystery with a score tied 11 to 11. It's heated, folks. Tied. You guys are killing it. This is some of the best performance we have seen in meddling adults history. So we get into our final case. We're Harry Potter fans. <laughs> all of us. Yeah, that's how we are. This is We're fired Sleuthing. up about this kind of thing. Yeah, we love to sleuth. <laughs> so the final mystery, the case of the painting contest. So this one starts strong. First line in the mystery says, quote, Pablo Pizarro was Idaville's greatest child artist. So yes, Pablo Pizarro. Pablo Pizarro. Hmm. Idaville's greatest child artist. So Encyclopedia Brown and Sally are at Idaville's Modern Art Festival, which is run out of the local high school, and they run into this guy, Pablo Pizarro. Now, Pablo Pizarro had won first prize last year with a winning statue called Bumps on a Log, which he carved out of three potatoes. And Encyclopedia Brown, which I think, and I love when authors do this, I've noticed this in a couple of these kids series that I've been reading, is I feel like sometimes the adult authors use the stories as a way to complain about stuff. This one feels like Donald J. Sobel hates modern art because the entire thing is Encyclopedia Brown thinking all of this art is just shit. Because <laughs> the book says, quote, frankly, Encyclopedia Brown thought bumps on a log was small potatoes. He dared not say so, however, in front of Sally, she was a big fan of Pablo. This is the scene in the West Wing, the woman who's complaining about the NRA and Sam saying he didn't know there was funding available for burning his shit outside of Starbucks. <laughs> I think it also is a... You know, it's an acknowledgement of the subjectiveness of art. Mm. Sally likes it. I don't know why that would be any less legitimate than uh, Encyclopedia Brown saying it sucks. So Encyclopedia Brown is convinced and the narrator describes this. He thinks that Sally only likes the art because she thinks Pablo's cute. And Encyclopedia Brown definitely has a little bit of oh. jealousy whenever there's a boy that Sally likes. That's uh, Suspect. a little bit of that going on for sure. Calling out Mr. Donald J here <laughs> on this one. So... They describe Pablo as dressing for the part, wearing a beret, a tan smock, and a huge floppy bow tie. And Encyclopedia Brown thinks to himself, he looks gift-wrapped. So <laughs> Sally asks Pablo what he entered this year. And Pablo says he entered nothing because no other kid wanted to compete against him. So the festival had to cancel the child art competition. And if that isn't the most sincere form of flattery, I don't know what is. Seriously. Like, no one else wants to enter, so they had to cancel the competition. Pretty baller stuff. 
But Pablo does say that he has entered the speed painting contest. So it's open to any amateur artist in the state, and you just have to paint quickly, not necessarily paint well. So he leads Encyclopedia Brown and Sally over to a corner at the gym, and there's a group of modern art lovers gazing at a white canvas set upon an easel, and these art lovers say, what soul? Superb! A major breakthrough! These are all things that different people are saying. And then Pablo has to turn to Encyclopedia Brown and Sally and saying, it's a blank canvas that no one's painted on yet. So, again, I think Donald Sobel is just really out here to shit on modern art. Donald Sobel needs to get down off his soapbox <laughs> and also stop delegitimizing Sally's opinion. Agreed. <laughs> I will say it does remind me of when I was a youngster living in New Jersey, me and some family friends went to either the Met or the MoMA, one of them. And me and one of my friends, I think we were like nine or ten, there was a room where they were definitely moving paintings. So there were three just blank rectangles on the wall where paintings used to be. And my friend and I just sat on the bench and then stared at them like the thinker. And we got some (laughs) adults to like laugh at us. I think it was like the first good joke I ever told. So that's uh, nine-year-old Mike coming through. Nice. So a man with a judge's badge comes over and he says, our first speed painter is ready to begin. His name is John Hemsley. He is a sea captain and he is dressed incredibly stereotypically. He's got the sweater from Knives Out on and the little seaman's hat thing and the cork pipe like he's Frosty the Snowman and boat shoes. The illustration in the book could not make him look more stereotypical. He gets up there and he is painting not with a brush. He's painting with those Bob Ross knives. Oh, wow. He explains that the brushes take too long to clean. So in a speed painting, he likes to use these knives. So he starts painting. And while he's painting, he describes what he's doing. So he's painting a boat. He says the boat is moving at just about four knots an hour. So we need to add just a touch of foam where the front of the boat cuts the water and a little behind. And oh, here's the skipper at the back of the boat looking at a map of where he's going. Done. I shall call it sailboat in motion. Happy trees. (laughs) I guess. So the judge clocks a minute, two minutes and 58 seconds. Pablo is floored. He's absolutely flummoxed because in his practice runs, he's never gotten below three minutes. He's always gotten like four minutes and change. So he's very worried. Now, Encyclopedia Brown is also shocked, and the narrator describes it as, quote, Sailboat in motion might have been instant art, but it was the worst picture Encyclopedia Brown had ever seen. So now Encyclopedia (laughs) Brown is not only down on modern art, but is also down on, like, regular this-is-a-thing-I-say-it-is art. He hates painting. Okay. (laughs) He's just not here for it. The only true art is children's mystery novels, apparently, according to Donald J. Sobel. So... Sally says maybe he just slopped paint on the canvas and then just named whatever it looked like. And Pablo says, no, the way the competition works is a contestant must describe what he's painting as he goes along. And he can't be a professional artist. Those are the only two rules. So you can't be a pro and you have to describe what you're doing. So Encyclopedia Brown asks Pablo when he's up. He says he's last of the 12 competitors. So Encyclopedia Brown says, I'll come back in an hour. And it describes him looking at all the paintings. It says, Encyclopedia Brown's eyes hurt from watching Sailboat in Motion take shape. He staggered off in search of relief. There was no relief for sore eyes anywhere in the gym. It was filled with works of modern art. The pictures appeared to have been made by throwing cans of paint into a jet engine exhaust. The sculptures looked like pickings from a train wreck. Oh, wow. So Donald Sobel is pulling no punches. He None. despises art. Oh, my 
gosh. <laughs> just absolutely brutal. Even when Sally comes over to say that it's Pablo's turn, the book describes it as Sally rescuing him. So it's time for Pablo. He goes up. He paints grass in October, so a bunch of hills and grass, and it looks nice, but it takes him four minutes and ten seconds. So he's upset. This does get him second place, but he still doesn't bring home top prize. Pablo's very sad because second prize is a bathroom rug, and first prize was a weekend trip to the state capitol with an all-you-can-eat buffet. Again, feels like the difference between first place and second place in these Idaville competitions is way too severe. Very large. So Sally is convinced that John, this sea captain, cheated. She says, he used a knife. You can't use a knife, right? And Pablo says, no, it's not against the rules. And she says, well, maybe he didn't tell the truth about himself or his picture. That could have been a whale sneezing, not a boat. Encyclopedia, can you prove he lied? And Encyclopedia Brown says, of course he lied. And then he explains what the lie is. So I turn to the two of you. What was the lie? Oh, my God. Okay, so did anyone check the knives before they started the, like, paint? palette things he was using. They didn't check the knives. The only thing really was talking to this painter about what his profession is and what he was going to paint and him describing it while he's painting. Could he have preloaded the knives with like kind of the image so he can just swipe it on? It describes it as a small flat knife. So in the picture, it really does look like Bob Ross. I don't think it's big enough where he could just like stamp. What is it that he, what he said again? Yeah, I'll say the whole full quote. While he is painting what begins to look like a boat, he says, The boat is moving at about only four knots an hour, so we need just a touch of foam where the front of the boat cuts the water and a little bit behind. And here's the skipper at the back of the boat looking at a map of where he's going. There. Done. I shall call it sailboat in motion. The first thing I would say is it feels like the captain is in the wrong spot. Ah. Like the captain would not be at the back of the boat, right? The captain would be like in a con tower, like up above the waves because you can't see anything from the back of the boat. So that, I think maybe that's the thing, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then I don't know how fast four knots is. So is that, but also four knots an hour seems like, would you say it that way if you were a captain? You wouldn't. That's not a thing. Knots is a measurement that includes time in it. So that would be like saying, I'm going... Five miles Four an hour. Four miles per hour per, per hour. hour or yeah. Something. Right. Yeah. Fiance's family has a boat. They teach me some things. <laughs> so um, I've had a lot of not conversations over the summer. Yeah. Agreed. Why would the captain be looking at a map about where he's going? And also, how do you look at your painting and decide how fast and then add the foam? Because if you add more foam, it looks like it's going faster. Right. So what do you think the nefarious nature of John is then? I think that what he did was present himself as a thing through his dress, right? Mm -hmm. And then use that to create legitimacy for what he said his painting was when it in fact was not that. Okay. Like, how can Encyclopedia Brown be like, of course he's lying? <laughs> this is Encyclopedia Brown's whole thing. Right, right, right. Everyone's, of course he's lying about this it's like, what? painting that he said was a boat. Which looks like a boat. Like, the, nobody's saying the painting doesn't look like a boat, right? It looks like a boat. Right. He's saying it looks like a boat. So the question is, what rule did he break? Oh. Oh, um, and remind me what they say about the rules. The rules are you have to describe what you're doing and you cannot be a professional artist. Oh, so then he's a he's professional a profession. artist? He is must be a professional artist of some sort. Because he did it so quickly. I think what we need to do, or what the tournament organizers need to do, is just grill this guy <laughs> on sea stuff. Can we, so you're a sea captain where? And what do you do on the sea? Are you a fisherman, lobsterman? Like what is, what are you doing on the seas? And are you sure you're not an artist? I am happy to report you are both right. He is lying about 
being a sea captain, and you both got it. It's his boat terminology is all wrong. Four knots an hour is saying like four miles an hour an hour. And then also he calls the front of the boat the front of the boat. Right. And the back of the boat the back of the boat, not the stern and the bow. Uh, he calls the chart yeah. a map. So they realize he's actually a artist and not a sea captain like he is dressed. So this brings us to a fun state. We're tied at fourteen fourteen, so we're going to a sudden death riddle. Sudden oh, death. Oh, baby. So Uh-oh. Jason and I seem to enjoy working together on this rather than competing. <laughs> I know, we do really do. <laughs> you guys are great. It's, I love the teamwork. It's what we need in 2020. We need I some people coming together and getting stuff done. So here's how the sudden death works. I'm just going to say the riddle to buzz in. Just say the word buzz and then I will give you the chance to answer and then it's like family feud rules where you can retort if the first buzz or gets it wrong. So, I'm light as a feather, yet the strongest person can't hold me for more than five minutes. What am I? Buzz. Yes. Breath. Yes! Melissa and Ellie, you have done it! You've avenged your season two loss, and in season three, you have brought home the cash for Camp Kiwanis. Oh, Melissa, how does it feel? It feels like, you know, you try and you try and you practice and you put in the work and good things happen. I'm going to Disneyland. That was wonderful. Amazing. Jason, you still fought incredibly valiantly. This was a close, tough fought battle. This was, I think, if not the, one of our highest scoring performances. So you also did great work. I'm very proud of both of you. Delightful to uh, be involved. This is fun. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on. This is a great time. If people want to find you guys doing stuff on the internet, where can they do so? Melissa, you won. So how about you go first? Sure. At Melissa and Ellie on Twitter will lead you to all the other things. I'm on Pottercast and we do a Harry Potter D&D now called Roll Nine and Three Quarters. That is one of my favorite things to do. And then everything else comes out from there. Oh, and the conventions. I should talk about that. We produce LeakyCon, Con of Thrones and BroadwayCon, which will be virtual in 2021 and free Go check all that out at mischiefmanagement.com. Amazing. And Jason, how about you? I co-host the Binge Mode podcast. You can check back on our past seasons, Binge Mode Game of Thrones, Binge Mode Harry Potter, Binge Mode Star Wars, Binge Mode Weekly, Binge Mode uh, MCU. And I'm at Crooked Media, where I will be talking about sports and pop culture. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining. Thank you for putting together some truly wonderful sleuthing. And I got to say, of of many of the guests, you are some of the most competent and sleuthiest meddling adults. Thanks so much for listening to the season three premiere of Meddling Adults. Meddling Adults is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. Our editor is Brandon Grugel. The art is by Maayan Atias and Kelly Schubert. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Grugel. And the web design is by me and Kelly Schubert. If you want to support the show, you can do so in a couple different ways. On a monthly basis, you can do so at patreon.com slash meddlingadults. You'll get access to bonus audio, early episode releases, and more. If you want to support and just make a one-time donation, you can do so at paypal.me slash meddlingadults. And both of these methods of support help us raise even more money for charity. We first cover all expenses and then all of the remaining funds go to the winning charities from this season. If you're not in a place right now where you can support the show monetarily, but you still want to help out, you can do so by telling someone about the show, whether you post about it on social media, reach out to someone directly, or leave a rating interview online. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to our website, meddlingadults.com. And if you want to follow the show on social media, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at meddlingadults, or on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash meddlingadults. 
Thank you again so much for listening. We hope to see you next Wednesday for the next episode of Meddling Adults. And if you don't want to miss that episode, how about you subscribe on your preferred podcasting app? And we'll see you here next week for the next episode of Meddling Adults.